Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings chapter 8. We are taking a little bit of a departure from our time in the book of Judges. And one of the things I've been struggling with is to think through, okay, what do we do with this time when we can't be in the book of Judges? And we've decided we can't be in the book of Judges because we're not meeting together corporately. And so one of the things I've been thinking through is, well, take a couple weeks here and, and focus on some different passages than we might normally focus on. And so we did that the first two weeks. Now we're on week three of live streaming as a church. And we're going to be in 1 Kings 8 this morning. And then next week, uh, Phil is going to be sharing with us from God's Word. The week after that is Easter. And so it'll be interesting to see what we're able to do for Easter, or not able to do by God's grace. And then the week after that, uh, Phil will be sharing with us as well. We're not sure where we'll be uh, on those Sundays, and so we'll see how God provides. And then after that, my thought now, and I'm open to feedback from, from any of you, and still talking through this with the elders and uh, staff, uh, my thought after that is no matter where we are, we, re- we go back to the book of Judges. And so it might look a little bit different. You know, these times are a little bit shorter, as I know that many of you are enjoying having younger children with you, and so there's some, some different things that we're doing uh, during this time, but um, that's, that's the plan for the next couple weeks. So First Kings 8 this morning, Phil, Easter, Phil, then back to the book of Judges, Lord willing. That's the plan today. We'll see how this continues to go. But First Kings chapter 8, and I, I want to read a little bit from this chapter as we see uh, Solomon dedicate the temple. The temple has been built by Solomon and the people. They bring the Ark of the Covenant to the temple. And as they bring the Ark of the Covenant to the temple, they're offering sacrifices. Then you come to verse 10. And it says in verse 10, And when the priests came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord." And then Solomon begins to pray, and we go down into verse 22. It says, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart who have kept with your servant David, my father, what you declared to him. You spoke with your mouth and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant my father, your, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, you shall not lack a man to sit before you on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed, Solomon continues to pray, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this this house that I have built, yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers towards this place and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. 
and listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. And Heavenly Father, we have a similar prayer before you this morning. We know that, that no building can contain you. And, and yet at the same time, we know that a building can contain the, the people in your, in your church, that the people that gather together to praise your name. And this morning, we can't do that. And so we beseech you to be gracious to us, to allow us to worship you in our imperfections, that we would be able to truly worship you, uh, the one true God. That you would forgive, that you would provide, that you would sustain. Father, I just echo what, what Dave has already prayed, but again, just implore you, we know that there are some this morning who are, are not doing well, uh, who are not handling this, this time well, that are, that are feeling the, the weight of separation from people, the weight of, of physical problems, uh, the, the anxiety of, of financial stress in, in a very profound way. And so we pray that by your grace, you would be with those brothers and sisters, especially this morning. We pray that you would help all of us, as Dave said, reach out to one another uh, to encourage the body of Christ at this time. We pray that you would help our worship, though imperfect, to be true this morning. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, as, as you know, we're experiencing something that the church has never experienced or hasn't experienced at least in 100 years where we are having to, to not meet together uh, because of, of illness, because of this pandemic. And, and I, I don't know if, if you're like me, uh, but whenever I, I first heard that the, the government was encouraging us not to meet together or that some of the people in our medical communities were encouraging us not to meet together, my, my first response to that is, well, that, that can't be right. You know, that, that can't be a good thing to do. That can't be the, the right thing to do. Surely, uh, not meeting together is, is not the right choice here. And yet, as I, as I talked more with medical people and as I talked with, with other church leaders, I realized, okay, I, I think God is, is providentially, uh, by his grace, saying, okay, for, for this period of time, uh, the church providentially is, is, heather, is, is hindered from gathering together. So then my next question is, well, then, then what does the church do? You know, we can't get together. What, is, what does the church do? And the answer is, well, we, we get creative in some, some good ways. You know, some churches have been doing Zoom, hangout, or Zoom meetings, Google Hangouts. Uh, some churches have pre-recorded messages and, and broadcast them on Sunday mornings. We, we're trying the live stream thing. Uh, lots of different churches trying different things. And, and then, as, as I think about, okay, these, these things we're trying, these, these creative things that we're doing, that those present even more questions. Okay, for example, this, this live stream thing that we're doing right now, we're live streaming into in your homes, and, and I, w I think we're taking some pictures here, but um, those of you in your homes, later whenever some people post some of these pictures, which I'm sure they're not doing right now because they're paying such great attention right now, um, you're going to see some funny things. I mean, I'm looking around, and there's, you know, uh, just a couple of people in this room in chairs that I'm talking to as well. This, what is this? <laughs> is this? Is this church? Is this the corporate worship time? I, I think the answer to that is, is no. This isn't the worship service. This isn't what God has, has called us to do ultimately, and gathering and singing. and It's not that. But it's also not nothing. It's not, it's not bad. God is doing good things through this. This isn't disobedient, right? 
It's been interesting as I've talked with some of my pastor friends how they've, they've wrestled with that. In fact, I even was listening to my good friend Jason Alligood this morning and for a few minutes and some of the things that he was talking through with his church. Different churches are coming to some different conclusions on this, and, and people I respect a lot are kind of coming to some different places and how they view what's going on right now. I was, some churches are kind of going all in on the live stream. They're saying, okay, this, this is church. They're even using the phrase, uh, we're on an online campus or we're a digital church and things like that. Some of my good friends are kind of landing there. Other of my good friends are saying, you know what, this isn't church, this, this digital thing, and so we're not even going to do a live stream. We're going to say, we're going to refrain from live streaming because we wanna, don't want to confuse people. We don't want to provide some sort of digital substitute for what is truly supposed to be the church. How do you balance all that? Well, Here's what I want to do this morning. I want to strike a balance. I want to strike a tension that my soul is feeling, that, that maybe you're feeling as well. And I know Mike, I've, I've watched Pastor Mike kind of struggle through this. As, as Pastor Mike is a person who's, you know, he's designed to worship. And this has been a, a tough week for him. And so not being able to worship with the cor- corporate church, that, that's been hard. So here's, here's the tension that I want, to, I want to communicate this morning and I want us to all, all feel on the one hand, I want to give us a longing for the perfect. I want us to give us a longing for, okay, we want to be back at church together, worshiping the Lord, doing what he's called us to do. I want to, I want to feel that this morning. I don't want to call this something that it's not and say, okay, this is, this is, this is all we need. I want to, I want to keep that, that tension of this isn't, this isn't the fullness of what God has called us to. Yet at the same time, at the same time, I want us to, to feel joy and satisfaction in where God has us right now. And to say, okay, what I'm experiencing right now is what a, a God who loves me has created for me. And I, I can right now, even though I can't experience this, which I, I, I want to, what I'm experiencing right now with my church family, this is true. This is, there's joy and there's satisfaction in what God is doing even through this imperfect worship this morning. That's the, the tension that I want us to feel. In fact, here's, here's the main idea that I want us to think about as we think about how to think about the weeks where we're not together. Even though we can never engage in perfect worship, so, so even whenever we're back together again, even, we're, even when we're in that amazing auditorium, worship center, sanctuary, whatever I'm going to call it, that's being built right now, even when we're there, we're not going to experience perfect worship because we'll be there, Right? So even though you and I can never experience perfect worship, we can always engage in true worship, okay? That's the thing I want us to think about this morning. And let's, let's first of all talk about this. Let's first of all talk about the absence of perfect worship. So even though we can never engage in perfect worship, we can always experience and engage in true worship. Here's the first thing I want us to think about, the absence of, of perfect worship. Here's, here's the problem. Look at 1 Kings 8. Solomon comes before the people, and they're preparing to enter into this temple that, that he's built. But even before they enter in the temple, they recognize that the people and the place isn't prepared, so they offer the, the sacrifices. And in fact, verse 5 says, King Solomon and all the congregation of, 
of Israel who'd assembled before him were with him before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and oxen that they could not be counted or numbered. And, and why are they doing that? Because the people aren't perfect. The people have, have sin, and the sin separates them from God. And so the, the place where they are and the people who are participating in the worship aren't, aren't right before God. And so they, they recognize that. But, but even after the temple is built, Solomon recognizes that there's still going to be imperfection fact, listen to what he says. Look down. We're not going to go through chapter 8 completely, but look what he says later in verse 33. He's praying, and in verse 33, he's praying to God about what's going to take place in this, this temple, and he says, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you. In other words, sometime, so here's the temple, and sometime in the future, there's going to be this experience where the people are defeated by their enemy because of sin. He says, when that happens, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them in again in the land that you gave to their fathers. When, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they've sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and, and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel when you teach them the, the good way in which they should walk. And, and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Later in verse 46, listen to what he says again about sin. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and, and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors saying, we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carry them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, and all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carry them captive, that they may have compassion on them. For they are your people, and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. So Solomon, as, as he prays, recognizes that even in this, this beautiful temple that he's built, the, the worship is not going to be perfect because the people aren't perfect. The people who engage in worship are not perfect people. Their, their worship falls short. They're going to sin. What's also interesting in the Old Testament is we see several examples of times where even people who want to be obedient to God can't engage in worship exactly as he prescribed. I'm not going to go through this passage, but you can write down, if, if you're taking notes or whatever, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. There's, there's this beautiful passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 30 where the people weren't ceremonially ready for worship. The, the timing was off. They were in the wrong month for the Passover feast. They, uh, the, the people were divided. They weren't united. The, the priests weren't prepared. The people weren't right. And yet, Hezekiah says, God... Uh, this is the situation we're in, but please allow us to worship you anyway. And it says that God 
and his grace responds with favor. And, and the same thing happens here. As, as Solomon prays before the Lord, the God, God grants favor. It says in, in verse 11 that his, his, his glory fills the house of the Lord. Now, how does that re- apply to you and me? You and I are also not able to worship God perfectly, right? Internally, right right now, sin affects our ability to come before God rightly. And some of you, perhaps, even as you go through this, this time of, of separation from other people, maybe you're, you're stuck with your family and uh, you're I'm, I'm getting nods from my son. Uh, you're, you're stuck with your family and uh, I'm loving the time with my family personally, but uh, you're stuck with your family and boy, uh, you know, the house that seemed so big a little while ago is, is getting tighter and tighter, and uh, some, some wrongful attitudes are being expressed. There's, there's anxiety, and you're seeing worry that you know should not be there if, you, if you're trusting the Lord. You're, you're suffering physically through, for other reasons, and, and this, this time of suffering is, just, is bringing out imperfection. You recognize you do not have the right heart attitude to worship God perfectly. You also recognize during this time that the external thing, not just the internal things, but the external things that are, be tr- that are to be true of corporate worship aren't happening. We, we talked about this a few months ago, and I, I just want to, again, I want to keep things in tension here. I want to remind, there's a tension of things aren't how they're supposed to be. So, for example, think about a few weeks ago, months ago, we talked about some of the things that are supposed to take place as we come together as a church. We're to read the word corporately. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. We are not able to do that right now. This is, this is something. It's nice, but it's not the fullness of what God has called us to We're to read the word, we're to preach the word. 2 Timothy 4, a pastor is charged by the Apostle Paul in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. He says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's supposed to take place corporately as we come together. We're not able to do that right now. We're to to pray the word. Uh, Paul tells Timothy again, 1 Timothy 2, supplications, prayer, and accessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings. We're to sing the word, Ephesians 5.19, address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Right now, we may be singing in our individual living rooms or, or maybe you're, you're still in bed. Wherever you are, you're able to sing, but I, I can't hear you. We can't hear one another. We're to see the word. We're, we're to see one another as we partake in the Lord's Supper together. Now, all of these things we can do in some ways, but we can't do them in the fullness of what God has called us to. There's a tension here, and I want you to feel the longing. We desperately desire to worship God as he's called us to worship, and that first Sunday we're back and we're able to do those things, how sweet it will be. We can't worship God perfectly right now, but that doesn't mean We can't worship him truly. And let's talk about the practice of true worship. 
even when we're prevented from perfect worship through our heart, through providential circumstances, God in his graciousness still allows you and me to come before him and worship him truly. In our imperfections, we don't just throw up our hands and say, well, I can't worship you right now, God, because I'm not perfect, because the circumstances aren't perfect. No, here's the deal, and here's what I want to encourage you with this morning, because God himself recognizes our need and provides the means by which we can have true worship, even when we can't practice worship perfectly. In a fallen world, we are able to worship God. Let me just read a couple quotes from you. Here's the essence of true worship. Listen to this. The essence of true worship is not found in our perfection, but the essence of true worship is found in the perfection of the one in whom we are worshiping, the one to whom we're worshiping. John Frame says this, worship is acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. John Piper gives a little bit more of a a longer definition. He says, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied in God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love and serving others for the sake of Christ. Worship is acknowledging the greatness of our covenant Lord. What happens is for those of us who have recognized our need, our imperfection, our sin, and have turned to God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ to meet that need, those of us who have done that now have the ability to acknowledge the greatness of the God who saved them. That's the essence of worship. Being in Christ through faith, and then as we are in Christ, who is perfect, being able to respond in praise to the beauty of the one true God. Uh, Paul would put it this way in Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, he would say, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you've revived your concern for me. He says, verse 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to, to be content. I know how to be brought low, And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him, in him, who strengthens me. Paul says, look, I I have the ability to, to engage in true worship, not because of my own perfection, but because of being in Christ. And the same is true for you and me. We cannot engage in perfect worship now or until eternity In this life, we cannot engage in perfect worship. The absence of perfect worship is always with us. And yet, because we're in Christ, our worship can be true. Let me just give you a couple thoughts here about the practice of true worship. A couple things, a couple principles of true worship that we see here in 1 Kings 8. Number one, what do we do? We approach God in faith. True worship of God and has God alone as its object. True worship is aware of God and responding to him. As Solomon begins here in 1 Kings 8, you see the the Ark of the Covenant make an appearance. 
and they, they bring the Ark of the Covenant into the temple, and they're offering sacrifices before it. And, and the Ark was a, a visible manifestation of the presence of God. Now, now God, of course, is, is everywhere, but the Ark represented the, the physical presence of God. It was, as, as they saw, they, they recognized that, that God was here. And the same is true for the church. There, there's a special way in which God is with us when we're gathered together as a church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 Paul writes, we are God's fellow workers. You're God's field, God's building. And he says in verse 16, do you not know that you, he's speaking plural, you the church are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. God's temple is holy and and you are that temple. 1 Corinthians 11, a couple chapters later, he he reprimands them as they come together for not coming together with the right heart attitude because God is there. God is that temple, in that temple of the church. By the way, um, I think that's that idea that God is with the church in a special way, the, the local assembly of, of believers, I think that's a, a real re- important reason why those of you who are not with your church right now really need to be reaching out with one another and, and finding the, the best ways to connect with your church. In fact, if you're, if you're part of another church and you're watching our live stream right now and there's a, your church is doing a live stream and maybe, um, you know, maybe, well, you've got a cooler background or whatever, yeah, I'd encourage you, do whatever you can to connect with your church. Come back to our live stream later. We'd love to, love to have you. Love to have our people go to other live streams as well and watch those later. But we need to do everything we can, as much as we can, to connect with our church, our, our church body. And yet, even though God is, is with us as a church, he's also with individual believers. Psalm 139 talks about we can't go anywhere where God is not. God is in a special sense with his believers. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. John 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. God is, is with us in a special way, those of us who are believers. And to engage in true worship, what do we do? We approach God in faith, believing that he is here and that he is with us. Even when we're not gathered together as a church, as we worship, one of the essential components of engaging in true worship of God is recognizing that he's, a, he's present, believing, having faith that he is there. Here's a second thing to do, encourage you with. Remember the works and words of the Lord. As Solomon prays, Solomon reminds God and, and he meditates on the things that God has done. In other words, he doesn't just uh, talk to God about the things that, that he's kind of interested in and say, hey, God, here's what's going on with me as the king, and, and here's what's going on with my family, and, and kind of just giving God kind of like a, a diary reading of his day. Solomon's worship, true worship, contemplates the, the person of God and his character and his works, the things that he's done and the things that he's said, and re- responds to that. So, for example, he stands in the presence of the people, and he, and he talks about who God is. He says, there's no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath. The, the worship that Solomon engages in is, is God-centered, not man-centered. He says, this is what you do. You, you keep covenant, and you show, we've talked about this, this word before, you show steadfast love. Chesed, to your servants, those who walk before you with all their heart. And then here's what you've done. You've you've kept your covenant with my father David. And then he talks about God's God's awesomeness. He, He says, you know, God doesn't even dwell on the earth. Nothing can contain him. Look, as we engage in worship, we're not just imparting our we're not imparting our own thoughts about God. We're not just giving God a, a dire resuscitation of our day. 
we're thinking about specifically who God is. This is, the, this is part of the essence of true worship. We're thinking about who God is specifically. And then as we think about who he is, we're responding with, with worship, with praise, with recognizing his value. Here are the things that God has done. And here's how I respond to them. Psalm 40, verse 5, is a, a, a psalm I pray every morning as, as I pray, talking about how, the, how God has multiplied his wondrous thoughts and his deeds toward us, his wondrous works and his deeds toward us, and talking about how we can never continue, we can never cease talking about them. And, and another thing, another aspect of true worship, another aspect of true worship is to, is to commune with God. Because God is there, and I believe that he's there by faith, and because I'm thinking about the things that he's done, the works and the words of the Lord, then I, I commune with him. I, I'm talking with him, and we don't have time to go into all of 1 Kings 8 here, but listen to some of the things that Solomon does. Solomon considers God's majesty. We've talked about that already. He, he, he's thankful for God's mindfulness. He says in verse 24, as he talks about God, he says, look, you, no, nothing can contain you, and, and yet you have been mindful with us. You've, you've thought about us. Then he begins to ask God for things in recognition of his sovereignty. He, he says, judge the wicked, justify the righteous, accept our repentance, bring in more worshipers, give us victory. In your judgment, also give us mercy. Solomon here communes with God. All true worship involves directing it toward God as we believe that he exists. And then finally, a final aspect of true worship, we, we trust in Christ. We, we trust in Christ. It's interesting as Solomon prays here to God, he believes that God is going to fulfill the promise he made to his father David, that, that, that the, the kingship will never end. And we know as Solomon believes that, we know that ultimately Solomon is believing in the Messiah, he's believing in Christ. And all true worship, recognizes our lack and God's absolute sufficiency in Christ. And so as I truly worship God, I don't perfectly worship God, but as I truly worship God, I find myself in Christ, in his perfection, responding to the beauty of my God and Savior. Even though, even though I can't worship God perfectly. My, my worship before God is true. And my worship is true because Christ is perfect, and Christ's worship is perfect, and being connected to him by faith makes my worship true. Even though I can never engage in perfect worship, I can always engage in true worship. Bethany family, I am, I'm praying for you this morning. I'm praying for you daily. I'm praying that, that God sustains you in the midst of this hard time. It is, it is hard to do the Christian life alone. And, and right now we are alone in some very real ways. And so my, my prayer is that God uses these different tools that he's provided for us, live streaming, Google Hangouts, Zoom, all these things that he's given us. I, I pray that he uses those things to allow us to continue to think about Christ and to encourage one another. Because in Christ, even though I cannot worship perfectly, I can worship God truly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for our church family. I thank you for this time that you've, you've created for us. Providentially, these are some hard times, and, and yet we recognize that, that you are the all-sustaining God in the midst of this. 
We pray for the, the weaknesses of your people. We, we recognize that, that being separate from one another physically is not what you've intended uh, in your creation originally for us to experience, and yet we recognize in your providential loving hand this is where we are. And so we pray, Father, that in your Son, Jesus, we could worship you truly. And in his perfection, our worship could be pleasing in your sight. We pray now that you'd help us to continue to think about you, to commune with you through our praise. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.